0: That was a oh, man, that was a dud. I see if I I gotta see if I can make up for that one. Uh, yeah, that one was a little messy. That's alright though. It's high pitched, nice, clear.
1: I wonder if it was more of a dud because I have the koozie on and it Maybe. didn't uh,
0: didn't resonate with the can. It <laughs> absorbed all of the sound. <laughs> well, man, this is the last one we're doing for twenty twenty. Last podcast this year. This roller coaster of a year is almost over. Although. I don't think the beginning of 2021 is going to be, like, turning over a new leaf quite yet, but... Oh, dude, screw you. You got to have optimism.
1: <laughs> Even I call if it, it's a placebo effect, I'll take it. I call it being a realist, but...
0: Yeah, so this is our last one of 2020. We're not going to be recording for the next two weeks. Christmas is next week, and then we're going to just hang out, do our thing, make a few audio improvements, probably on our end, but... Let's just get into it then. Welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me as always is... Evan Wall. And before we get into today's guests, hit subscribe on the YouTube channel, like, comment if you feel like it, uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, follow on Facebook and Instagram. If you never want to miss an update for the podcast, hit us up on patreon.com slash aged out podcast for any financial support and go check out Lone Star Percussion dot com if you need any kind of percussion equipment use the code aged out to get ten dollars off any order of fifty dollars or more and we all know how easy that is to do with percussion equipment so holiday time spending a little more than usual save some money if you can so evan you want to take it away since um you actually marched with this guy and we'll go from there sure if you watched our most recent
1: reaction video uh 05 06 and 08 blue coats which we'll talk about we skipped 07 not really for any specific reason uh but we'll talk about that too uh then you will have already heard this dude's voice um but yeah joining us again to do some podcasts get a little bit more detail into his life and his uh involvement in the activity joining us is uh chris gary what's up my friend
2: hey thanks for having me on i'm super excited
1: yeah man we uh had several things that we started to talk about on the reaction video, but then we're like, all right, all right we, can, we don't want to make this too long, which is basically, I know some people commented on your your video, why did they do 07? And I'm like, well, we don't want to make it 45 minutes long. We try to try to get them as close to 20 as we can. But <laughs> Got the 07 love going on. Yeah, it's good. Which it, it definitely deserves the love. And we'll get into that as well. Uh, phenomenal year, very stellar wine, very stellar ensemble all around uh but i guess we'll we'll backtrack a little bit and just allow you to kind of take us through how you got into the activity whether it was middle school band high school band kind of your introduction to drum corps and all that jazz and uh yeah man take it away
2: yeah absolutely you know when i uh when i grew up was kind of in the middle of uh central new jersey which central new jersey only exists if you grew up there otherwise you don't think it exists but uh it was kind of like rural farmland like we didn't really have Uh, like a ton of activities at the school so for example uh, i played sports growing up and i really only got into like drum set Uh, i think i was in eighth grade and then that led to just like some lessons and the lesson teacher i had uh, who was like a jazz drummer gave me like a modern drummer magazine and cadets 02 was on the cover because they did like a dci issue and that honestly is how I found out about drum corps because I you know didn't know to look for it I had never seen it you know there was no real huge marching band presence in the area uh, so you know just kind of read about it and fortunately for me like the time I started getting interested in it uh, so that would have been right about 03 uh, to through some random luck cadets 3 housed at my high school for a camp for like a winter camp And it was just really bizarre because like my high school barely, I mean, there was no drum corps presence. There was no like drum corps instructors. Uh, We had a marching band, but it was very small. Uh, And then suddenly like this one weekend, you know, they said, okay, you know, this sounds cool to you. Come check it out for like show and tell. And you know, I'm like what, 16 and I'm like sitting in front of like the cadetro three horn line in like March, you know, playing their opener. It's like, what in the world is this? This is crazy.
1: Dude, that's awesome. I think too, like, now you would look back at it and somebody's like Do you want to come watch this group at this winter camp you'd be like uh absolutely not <laughs> but like having no exposure and seeing that for the first time it's just still like i'm sure jaw dropping
2: yeah absolutely and i think in particular because again just like the <laughs> high school i grew up at uh there was maybe 60 people on the marching band there was probably two staff members for the whole crew wow uh, i think we had like a guy who taught our drumline the first year i was in the drumline oh this is a funny one so my audition was can you play with traditional grip and i said the word yes and they said okay you're in the snare line that was <laughs> and it was just because like it was in the country it was like a small school uh, i think there was like three snares um and like, again like no one did drum corps we didn't even know what it was could uh, you so yeah like... that, that's a good question i'd probably <laughs> lie <laughs> i mean honestly like the the um drum set teacher i had was really good uh, his name was Mark Caputo, and he kind of came from, like, uh, like the New York City jazz scene to some extent. I mean, he was in New Jersey, but, uh, like, luckily, he, like, taught me how to play rudiments and, like, taught me how to hold the sticks, and it was actually, like, he had, like, a good foundation, which, of course, like, looking back, that was just, again, luck that he was the guy my parents found to call to, like, give me lessons.
1: <laughs> I looked him up in the phone, but like, this guy sounds good. Sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so then, you know, I did some high school marching band. We had, like, a little bit of an indoor drum line, but it was, like... I think if you looked back, it looked like we did a lot of like standstill and like we just wore black shirts, like that kind of thing. I mean, it was 2003, 2004.
1: Sounds uh, like a drum, but, drum line to me now. <laughs> Stand still, <laughs> yeah, standstill. Exactly. Let's go. I want to march.
0: It's called winning.
2: And then, yeah, my, uh, my first exposure to like thinking that drum corps was something that I could actually do. Like, so I followed a lot of the groups in the summer of '03. Like I went and saw cadets in Allentown because Allentown wasn't too far away from where I grew up in New Jersey. And uh, so I started to, like, go to some audition camps in 04. I guess it was, what like,
1: in fall of 03. What a great summer to, like, follow groups around. 03, man, just what a phenomenal year of drum corps. BD, phenomenal, cool. Uh, four, uh, what was that? Four Corners, 03 Cavies. Did they do that that year? 03. Course, in cycle in 03 spin Cycle and 03, Oh, yeah, Spin Cycle. And then, of course, Cadets were phenomenal. Vanguard was phenomenal. Dude, it was a great year for and drum corps. Phantom, Harmonic Oh, academy. yes, dude, that opener.
2: I have a funny Allentown story because, I mean, again, I was like 16. I was just getting into drum corps and I watched every drum corps for both nights of Allentown, which it doesn't matter who you are. Like, that's too much drum corps. <laughs> that's and a lot. I remember falling asleep during Phantom 03. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely, like, looking back would probably want to, like, you know, like be as uh, aware as possible for that show just because it was incredible. Yeah. But, you know, different times. Uh, yes yeah, so, I
1: appreciation.
2: <laughs> seriously yeah i remember too um the summer of '03, going to these cadets music is cool camps right these little clinics yeah that, you know of course like we've all done as you know marching members <laughs> mm-hmm. and i remember like standing next to chris bale and like zach schlicker and i didn't know who they were i just these are the cadet snare drummers and then i was like all right this seems like something i should probably try to do over time you know it's <laughs> awesome and of course i didn't know how good of a drumline they were i just knew they were like amazing because they were amazing i didn't know like you know, this many years later, people still think of Cadets 03 as being like epic. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So you were saying you started started auditioning, like Cadets Crossman combined audition. And I actually met one of my best friends to this day, the snoid, Kevin Thorburn,
1: at that audition.
2: So I guess it was like November 03. And there was like, uh, probably 200 drummers in the same like cafeteria so it was and we were about to play so it was going to be super loud and this like kid taps him on the shoulder and he has uh toilet paper sticking out of his ears and he like hands me some toilet paper he goes hey do <laughs> you want to make some uh you know i'm gonna cover your ears
1: and that was <laughs> so that's how i met uh you know a
2: dude who like was at my wedding and who like you know i text every day
1: dude they came in clutch too
2: yeah exactly so yeah i mean i remember uh you know, audition I auditioned there and they basically were very nice saying you probably need to go get some experience <laughs> and I actually auditioned at this group that is no longer around Lehigh Valley Knights I went to like one camp and uh, then I ended up at Jersey Surf and March Jersey Surf for uh, 2004 and
1: 2005 did they steer you in the direction of surf or were you just looking up like oh this is kind of close to my area makes sense I'll go and check this out did you know anybody there
2: yeah, you know, what the funny thing about the summer of 03 is actually Jersey Surf was really good. They were, uh, you know, Division II, a um, lot of, like, really good players in that snare line who actually I still know to this day, and, you know, a lot of them are uh, you know, still really great drummers and percussionists to this day. So that was always kind of in the back of my mind because, like, you know, that was like, I, again, I probably didn't even realize the difference between groups like Surf versus Cadets back then, uh, but I knew they were good. So, and it was, again, like in my home state, it was something my parents could drive me to because it was before I really had like my license. Uh, So yeah, like my mom drove me to camp because the way um, Serp did their weekends, which I think is still maybe similar, you know, obviously pre-pandemic, but we did one weekend a month just to get everybody. But then we did every weekend starting in May. So maybe even April. Uh, And then we did like a week and a half or two week tour in June into july and then like a two or three week tour from july into august
1: that's a pretty great break in for someone who's never done anything at that i don't want to say level of just that level of frequency i'll say just going nonstop yeah. for like 14 days straight um without traveling around without being at home just getting used to like tour life quote unquote so i've always think i've always thought that more groups should model that. It's easier on the kids. It's definitely easier from a logistical standpoint to maybe not like waste a whole summer if you have to take like a summer class or something like that. There's many pros to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, look back at,
0: I look back at how tough at 19 my first summer in 2010 was. I mean, that was a big like just toss you into the deep end of the pool and – If there had been something I had done beforehand, like you're just saying, that was like two weeks on, week and a half off, kind of let your body recover a little bit. You kind of get to ease your way into the mental and physical stress that is a full tour. I think there's tons of benefit for that. and You probably would succeed at a much higher level your first full tour if you had done like a shortened tour like that beforehand. It's like like a tour. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the other nice thing I think for myself and a lot of the people I marched with at surf is that maybe they weren't necessarily like super, super trained at their high school. So that was our chance to actually like have someone kind of like beat it into us a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just remember, you know, again, it was 2004 also. So like the guys who were teaching me back then marched in like the late nineties and the early two thousands. And that was like my first exposure to like if someone like broke like the whole drumline cut and we all just did push-ups or we all started running and it was like pretty (laughs) old school. Uh, but I mean, you know, they taught us like old school East Coast style of playing, and you know, trying to be in time and all that kind of stuff. And looking back, like we probably were okay, like we, you know, for the time and for our age and for our experience and everything. Uh, but Surf at that time also did some kind of wild shows, like our our show in 2004 was an Elvis show.
1: <laughs> and yeah. the-
2: Had a costume change halfway through, in which they put on Elvis costumes with wigs. <laughs> <laughs> and- it was just like over the top. I mean, I didn't know any better. It was my first time with drum corps. I didn't know it was like weird that we weren't wearing Shakos in uniform, you know?
1: Dude, that sounds like something someone would do today. We're going to have a costume change in the middle of the show.
2: Yeah, and like for finals, they made this like wheel that we had to spin. And then we like rushed the front sideline, which like brought us a penalty. But it was all like planned. <laughs> I mean, it was just crazy. I'm like, you know, you're like a 17-year-old marching member. You don't know that it's like not normal to do that.
1: So like vk they used to do some wild stuff yeah i think the staff and the
2: design team was definitely heavily influenced by vk which is awesome i mean i think drum Corps probably needs a little
1: bit more of that yeah you can have fun and be good yep. you know, they, they don't they can coexist
2: and be so, different too you know if you're yeah. going, again watching 12 shows 18 shows in a row
1: yeah absolutely break up the monotony so you did your first summer at surf ended up going back for a second summer at surf um did you try to audition somewhere else in between or were you just like, now nah, I'm going to go back and get some more time here. What was the, what was the thought yeah, there?
2: A bunch of us came back in 05. Um, we kind of like knew that we wanted to do that before maybe like thinking about, you know, trying to level up. Cause again, that was division two versus division one. So wanted to get another summer under our belts, I was still in high school. So it made sense. Um, and then started actually to crack into the WGI scene, if only because again, like my high school had a drum line, but then it kind of disbanded just because there wasn't enough interest. So, I was at a surf camp, and uh, the snare tech at United had come in to teach a block. His name was Chet Tietzworth at the time, who was actually um, center for Crossman in '91 and the snare tech for Crossman in '92. So, like a like super old school East Coast dude whose lineage, like in the New Jersey area, you know, is pretty wide. Uh, and he just mentioned that like they had a snare spot open, and it, I think it was like February by this point. It was like a little later into the WGI season. And I got the music sent to me, and I got lucky because the first weekend I was supposed to show up got snowed out, so I had an extra week to practice, uh, just to like learn the beats and the show, and you know. And I showed up, and I like knew the opener, and they were like, "Oh, okay, you're in," just because like, they, needed a, they needed someone. So again, there's like a theme here of me getting lucky with like auditions, you know. So yeah, my United audition was basically in 05 at least was uh, just like I knew the notes, so I was in the show. That like started putting me in the drill the first day I was there.
1: Hey, man, there's something to it, even today, for a kid who shows up prepared. I mean, Mm -hmm. oh, you prepare, you take this seriously, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's like a
2: great principle for, I'm just thinking when I was teaching, you know, if someone shows up with like a binder of like the exercises and the music, you know, clearly organized, and then obviously they can, you know, play. It's like, all right, this person like thought to prepare ahead of time. And they're not just winging it as they go.
1: I can think of some people who winged it at some auditions, one yeah. of which we'll probably talk about later. Good lines too.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: um, anyway,
2: five. We actually got a bronze medal and open. I mean, WGI was a bit of a different beast back then. I don't, you know, there weren't as many groups, and I think like the uh, the caliber of excellence was like a little lower in my opinion. But the show design obviously carried through. Um, and again, for me, like I didn't, you know, marching at two hundred was like what you can even do that. Uh, definitely like you know cracked it exposed me to more things which i thought was great i
1: think you did on united was it oh six did you do oh seven and oh eight or just oh eight or
2: yeah i did oh five oh six oh eight because in oh seven i actually taught uh high school in virginia because i was in college by that point
1: okay Uh,
2: high school which was a wgi line they went and um i think probably made semifinals in open okay and that same kind of thing, I took the, um, the winter of '09 to start teaching at Mason, which was a lot of the same staff as the Chantilly crew, and then marched my age out at X at 10.
1: Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with some other
2: schmucks in the um, snare line. So,
1: <laughs> what was
2: that? I said, yeah, there was some other schmucks in the snare line at X in 2010. <laughs> oh,
1: man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, ended up doing your second summer at Surf. Coming off... Going to Cadets, was that because it was familiar to you? Was that like a this has been like a dream? This is kind of what was opened up to me, like 03 Cadets going back to there. I want want to do this. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And 05 Cadets too. I mean, if you saw that show and that drumline live, you know, of course you want to be a part of that organization, you know? I mean, I was thinking about it the other day. Like they got the highest score ever at the time, or at least, you know, I think they like tied for the Cavies 02. They won every subcaption award. And I think that right there has never happened again, I think.
1: Could be wrong. but uh, you know, I feel like BBD may have done that one year or late, like 2010 yeah. or something like that. Yeah, but yeah. still. It's totally
2: possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, Cadets 05 was awesome. I was also totally into Bluecoats in 05. You know, we talked about it with the reaction video. That drumline was incredible. And the show was really cool, too. And I kind of had heard that Bluecoats didn't have as many spots open in 06, which is true. I think they only really had a couple. Um, and again, like being so close to cadets, it was like I was in the process of going to, um, to college in University of Virginia, but it was still drivable to get to cadets auditions and to uh, cadets camps. And then, you know, there was a little bit of overlap. There was a, like maybe a visual staff person on staff at United who was uh, also on staff at cadets. I think it was Mark Sylvester. You know, he wrote the, the drill at United and he was, you know, whether drill writer or, uh, you know, coordinator at cadets. Um, So, yeah, I went and auditioned, and that was a brutal audition. You know, that was, like, the classic, like, 100 snare drummers. They said they're going to take 10. So you look around the room, and it's, like, you know, for every one that gets accepted, nine are getting cut kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Anytime, you feel like the year of our, I'm sure, a core winning, it's like, all right, we're all going to go there. Yep. And I remember
2: Tom Rocks just being so intimidating. I mean, you walk into the individual, and there was, like, a, a rudiment sheet. That was numbered. And you basically, he would just say 27. And you just had to play whatever that number was. And it wasn't like the standard list. It was like hybrids. Yep. And he would say like 42. And you just had to play whatever number 42 was.
0: He did the and same I mean, thing just, in 2010 at yeah. Blue Stars. Same thing.
2: And it's almost more because he's just looking for that level of preparation. I mean, obviously the hands has got to be there. He, he values wants to preparation know that you wanted a
0: lot. Super smart. Yeah. He's great at what he does. Um, but you said you thought he was intimidating.
2: Yeah, I mean, especially again, you know, six, I was like 18 and intimidated by like, the, you know, the dudes who had just come off of winning a gold medal and winning drums and, you know, being being around Chris Vale, who like, by that point, I knew who Chris Vale was. He had marched cadets for five summers, been center snare for three of them. Every year he was center snare, they won high drums. Like, Jeez. you know, him, him <laughs> teaching, it was like, it was a lot to take in, you know, as like someone who was about to be their first, you know, full summer or, or class. Yeah, I, I like
0: was in the same boat. When I when I got in my first individual with Tom at the November camp at Stars, like I was terrified because I mean I grew went through high school cadets was it like that's I was taught by a cadet from the 90s like that's where I wanted to go and I was terrified. And it is
2: funny looking back to again having led auditions and so on, and I think that experience of you know of course having gone through like interpreting auditions, I always tried to make the uh, you know the the person auditioning the student feel comfortable whether that was like drumming with them or like asking them where they're from or this or that Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day if they're just like so nervous that the audition isn't you know accurate yeah or
0: even just that they don't have a good experience it seems like you know
2: it's not necessarily the best experience for everyone
0: yeah that's kind of it's kind of reminds me of my audition at coats in 12 because i hadn't done an individual audition since the 2010 rhythm x audition for the 11 season and um I I played terrible for Mike Jackson. It was just him in the room, played terrible. And and he even told me at the end of it, he was like, I feel like that's not an accurate representation of how you can play. And I was like, you're right. I can play – because I I knew – like." He already knew about me coming in from Tim Jackson and Ryan Lamb and Joe Woody and Tom because and, they had done winter with me. So he had knew what was coming in, and showing up at the camp, and he was he. So he gave me a second shot. Like on Sunday, he like did a second individual with me, and it was much better. But it's it's just so funny how your nerves can really, really make someone who might be a great player just just being nervous can make you come off terrible or super inexperienced. That's,
2: that's great on Mike Jackson for you know realizing that it was better to just give you a second audition that weekend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He did it. I played like 20 times better and they gave me a contract that Sunday, like right after the individual. So it worked out. I'm really glad he did it. So
2: later on in my, you know, both academic and marching career, I got really interested in performance psychology. Um, and you know, there's a lot of like great books about that, that might be about like sports or like generally about music. Uh, like, um, I think it's uh, Zen and the Out Auto- of Tennis. I have to look it up, but uh, I think that certainly applies. Like when you go to perform, or whether it's an audition or whatever, uh, I think that's something that I wasn't really ever taught. Like when I was in lines, like they just assumed that if they you know taught us how to play, taught us how to march, you know, made us play in time, that that would work well. And then certainly once I started marching under Mike McIntosh, uh, and then maybe perhaps a little bit you know with um, Tim Jackson that we talked a little bit more about how to approach a performance, you know, and what the mindset should be. And we did actually have blue coats a little bit of some performance psychology work. Uh but I think that's a super imp- important field that our activity could certainly continue to, you know, dive deeper on.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent agree. Absolutely.
1: I think that they will start to get more into that too, just because of mental health aspects of just life seem to be more prevalent, uh the forefront of people's minds over just normal society. So I think that will start to bleed into like our activity as well. But Yeah, yeah, got to be mentally sharp. So Drummond is like way more mentally taxing than physically, I would say. But once you have the chops to do it, but anyway, uh, let's get back into the summer of '06. So Cadets came off obviously, like you just described a minute ago, phenomenal year where they had a record-setting score, swept all captions, gold medal, iconic show, very trend-setting, kind of a trailblazer show to some people. And in 06, they kind of do the zone part two. Um, did you guys, like when you found out about the show design, like, Hey, we're just going to like build off last year. We're kind of like, all right, let's go. Or were you like, all right, we'll have to see where this goes. And that summer from a cadets perspective, especially coming off of a gold medal was, I would say less successful in terms of a placement standpoint. Uh, I don't want to say just less successful because what defines success? I mean, that's a that's a vague term in itself. But was that like a difficult summer? Was there a lot of change? Was there like pressure? Did you feel like the staff was like on you guys, like, hey, we need to be better than this? Take me through. Yeah,
2: definitely. I think if you talk to anyone who was a part of cadets Six, you know, especially if they, you know, maybe were also part of Cadets and other summers, uh, that they would say that cadets Six was a hard summer, and. I think if there was a payoff at the end, if there was a medal, if there was a whatever, then, you know, it just makes it feel like, oh, yeah, it was all worth it. Uh, But, you know, of course, like when the group got first the previous year and I think we got fifth or sixth or whatever it was that it feels like, wow, that was like just really hard. And, you know, it was a little bit of a letdown. But I don't ever remember like that. We were like um, disappointed in like the show. Uh, Again, a lot of us were new. There was a lot of like younger guys. Uh, I think maybe the staff like approached it similar to how they probably did when they had a lot of experience uh, and, you know, with a lot of like rookies versus having a lot of vets the prior year. And that can be tough, you know, but we just worked so hard. I mean, that, that was my biggest takeaway from 06 cadets. Like we never had a full day off. We had a few blocks here or there. Uh, but I mean, I put the drum on every single day, you know, and we marched around and often the warm-ups would be like, triplet rolls up to 200 like while tracking backwards like at 9 a.m and like do that 90 days in a row and like it was physically hard and thus mentally draining and I honestly like think that even to this day like my ability to just like put my head down and do work a lot of it can come back to that summer and (laughs) it's not the best habit because you got to work smart too of course but I mean we just like worked so hard I remember talking to Shawnee Mack so he Sean McElroy I taught the baseline at cadets in 06. And then I taught with them at Mason down the road. And, and he was like, man, like that, that was just so hard. Like from a staff perspective, it was hard. Like just every day, like really just trying to either clean a show that maybe wasn't the best designed or just trying to like get a bunch of like young people to achieve at the highest level. Cause their expectations were like a gold medal. The expectation was, you know, perfection. And, uh, whenever you just don't get that expectation, of course it just feels like no matter how good you get, it just feels like a disappointment.
1: Yeah. That hearing that parallels a lot to my experience from crown 09 to crown 2010. Um, 09 crown was a very well received show from the fans and the judging community. And we were really good, but we came so close. I mean, at that point, crown had never won a gold medal. Um, Came so close, second place finish, highest to date in the course history. And the following summer, 2010, it was just we're so close, we're we're gonna win. And they just talked about that so much, like the goal is to win, like we're gonna win, like we have to win, like why are we placing well, blah blah blah. And we just got rocked that summer yeah. for a variety of reasons. There were injuries. Uh, Drumline went from nine five and five and ended up at seven four and five. Um, yeah. So there's a variety of injuries and just people pushing us in that I really felt like there was a lot of pressure on us to to do well because that was the expectation like we just need we need to do better and if you're not then you need to be I was just like what <laughs> uh, yeah and so honestly, I can really- when I
2: started teaching too like I never pushed the competitiveness a ton I mean I pushed like excellence and achievement all all day but for sure you no know, yeah. I never necessarily really got too deep I mean you know, and you know, we'll get into it. I taught it Spirit when they you know kind of nudged the way back in the finals for the first time in a while, and we were super stoked about that, but to me, it wasn't like that. like the fact that we got that spot was a reflection of the level of achievement, and not because we were you know grinding to beat X, y or z group or to you know achieve a certain number or whatever.
1: yeah, because it's totally out of your hands, really. I mean, by doing the right things, the result may end up the way that you want it to, but wanting the result will not get there just because you want it. You have to do the right things. It's kind of, I mean, yeah, we had no choice or opinion or influence over whether we were fourth or first. Like, we can't put the numbers on the page. (laughs) So that was a little bit, that was ultimately probably why I did not go back to crown for my age out or march my age out. But and if yeah. I had marched my age up, I was not going to go back to ground. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I think that they went through a growing pain that summer, just and they were like, all right, we have to let this happen a little bit more organically than trying to force it.
0: So, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, yeah, been, and pl- then- there's been plenty of people we've talked to on here that have been caption heads that say, the years, I mean, Tom Rarick said it to us, the years you win drums, just talking about that subcaption for a second, are the years anyone that's won it will tell you they weren't really trying to win drums. Like, they were just like, it just kind of happened. They did the right things. They put in the work. They handled their business all summer, every day, all day, and it happened. Like, they weren't writing like, yeah, this drum feature is really going to help us win drums this year. Like, it just kind of happened because doing the right things, not putting too much pressure on yourselves, and when you try too hard for it, it can put you in the wrong mental state as a staff and performers on top of forcing things from a design standpoint.
2: Yeah, and I think my experience... Going from Cadets 06 into Bluecoats 07 08 was definitely the the kind of like highlighting the difference between working just hard and then, you know, trying to work hard and work smart. Uh, and it also came down to that. I mean, I remember talking, uh, having Mac talk to us and having Brett Kuhn talk to us about, you know, what's the focus and what are we thinking? And, you know, they really never emphasized, you know, numbers or competition. I mean, we're obviously looking at it, we're obviously wanting to, you know, win and beat groups, but it was never like we weren't uh, measuring the success of the summer by whether or not we got a medal or by whether or not we won drums. I mean, that's always things we have in the front of our minds, but it wasn't that we even like talked about it in 07,
1: you know, a ton. That's a great segue. All right, let's get into that. But first, all right, that was still not a great. So it's yeah, not the was... koozie. We did yeah. an experiment
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> it was better than the first one. But it was just
1: it was just this can. But anyway, so that's a great segue. So going into oh seven oh eight, your time at Blue Coats. Um, obviously, we skipped over oh seven on the video, but not because it was a less than summer. Actually, I listened to those both of those finals tapes, oh seven and oh eight, uh, before we did this podcast. Just revisiting them, and both are so good. Um, <laughs> I like the oh seven tape better because of AK. Alan, alan christensen, christensen is dude the he's hype. just giving it up at one point he's just like yes yes and he's just like, <laughs> Ooh, baby and he's just into it man he's like, i hear you he bases back there and although I, I do like prosper as a judge he's a little bit more reserved in his animation i will say yes. uh yeah. probably due to like his military background and all that um but yeah that ak tape just i was just smiling listening to it i was like he is digging it so yeah yeah it's so good but yeah, yeah, your time. Of, you go to Blue Coats on our reaction video. You touched on it a little bit. You kind of had met and ran into Justin Lewis after 06 Cadets. And he was like, hey, man, we kind of beat you guys. And you're like, yeah, you did. And then ended up <laughs> showing up in the camp. Um, so I guess just take it away. Your Blue Coats experience with Mac and just the run through.
2: Yeah, and honestly, I want to start with even uh, a story that probably very few people know. But I basically got cut from Cadets in 07. Um, I did go back and, you know, in the whole off season, a bunch of us, you know, we're still keeping in touch and the plan was for me to march, uh, in uh, cadets again. And part of that was because we all felt like, you know, in 06, we just busted our asses and then, you know, just, we, we needed to have like a summer that it was going to be better and went back to one camp and, uh, Colin was there, which was awesome. I mean, I only got taught by Colin for maybe a day, but I had never, I never you know, like experienced like his, his approach. Uh, he brought some guys from Madison at the time and at the end of the camp, I didn't necessarily have like an audition at that camp or anything, but they said, Hey, you know, all the vets are gonna have to re audition and you know, me and then one other guy, they they basically said like, if you wanna make sure you're gonna march this summer, you might want to start looking elsewhere. So it was like a very soft, you know, cut. And looking back as again now someone who's like taught, it's like, yeah, you should probably have been more clear with like exactly how they were gonna handle that situation. And, you know, again, I was 18 19 at the time and my interpretation was well like my world is over like I just got cut from you know I was a vet blah 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 and I let that go on for like maybe an hour and then I was like well you know it's November I'm gonna go somewhere in March and I think I sent like 10 emails maybe like five or six emails to like caption heads like I just like went on the website like whatever contact form and just like email Boston emailed blue codes emailed whoever and a few you know just never got back but Mike Mac, 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 he, Mike Macktosh, he, Mac, Mac, he uh, emailed me back and said, you know, we have a few spots open. Obviously, you know, if you're March cadets, you know, you're familiar with the, you know, caliber we're trying to achieve, but it's going to be a, you know, a cutthroat audition. Uh, and as soon as I got that email, I just immediately thought back to how much I was into Blue Coast in 05. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be what it is. And I remember because I think I got the email and the packet on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And like, basically, I went like, to some practice room at, at the school i was at and like drummed on a drum for like three or four hours that night did the same thing the next night because it was in the midst of uh you know finals and exams and i got in a car to drive to ohio on a friday morning and that was the the day that i walked into the audition room and justin was like what the hell are you doing there <laughs> and you know audition got a call back and like that sunday i think i was on like winter break for school and i was like that was the craziest like four or five days of my life <laughs> I was taking, like, college exams during the day. I was, like, drumming Blue Coats exercises for, like, four hours a night. Then I had to drive, like, seven hours to Ohio to audition. It was
1: just, like, madness. Dude, some of those exercises are quite challenging, too. Like, Blam and Meter Diddle and even that double beat. 6-8 yeah. <laughs> Blue. 6-8. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But before we get um, too far into the Blue coat, I want to back up for a second about the the Cadets thing. Like, so – Tom was still in charge in 07, right? I believe so, yeah. So, but Colin was the one in charge of making those... Dis- I don't know, it just seems weird knowing Tom that that he wouldn't talk to you at all. Was he just, like, not at that camp, or...?
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, looking back, again, like, having been in that experience as a staff member, you know, you're going to sit around the room, there's going to be the caption head, the snare tech, the battery coordinator, like, you might disagree on, like, who you think should be in the line. And... Uh, the person who eventually like pulled me aside was uh, Neil Larravee and
0: uh-huh. George
2: Hopkins, actually. Wow. Uh, so it's not like they were the two who were like the snare techs or whatever. They were just the people who were going to tell me. And, uh, you know, I'd probably have to go and ask Tom. But I'm guessing that there was probably like the people from 06 or maybe whether it was Colin from 07, you know, in the single-day audition, thought that, you know, the, the some of the vets needed to re-audition and some of the vets probably weren't going to earn their spot back. But, you know, looking back, like, it stung super hard up front, and it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me.
0: Yeah, you know, like fair, fair. I
2: need, I needed to get that like, like uh, kick in the ass because then I over prepared probably for like the Blue Codes audition, and then had two of the best you know years of my life with Blue Codes, and that you know opened the door to Rhythm X, and I opened the door to teaching, and you know met, met some of my best friends.
0: Yeah, so basically a blessing in disguise. Like I think it's it's really cool. And no, we've had this kind of discussion with people we've also had on this podcast prior about when you have experiences like that, some people are gonna fold, but some people are gonna use it as fuel for the fire to like, all right, let's reassess, let's look at what's going on, and then let's use that to fuel me to the next thing, this maybe new door that just opened because of this thing that I didn't think would be good, but it ends up being good in the end. So I think that's kudos to you for Taking that and using it, and then it, like you said, it was pivotal. It was a blessing in disguise, yep. really. Yeah, we also, also felt uh, pretty good just driving
1: them into the ground those summers. You were actually <laughs> <I> <laughs> retribution. Say we uh,
2: as far as I can remember, we never lost to Cadets and Drums, but uh, we we beat them in, as a full core once in 07 at the very first show, and then I think they beat us pretty much every other time we saw them. But mm. it was nice to uh, no, to be in a better drum line
1: for sure so back to blue coats you get your call back um obviously have a little bit more time to dive into the book and the beats that are given out go back uh to december i'm assuming um maybe by that point yeah next camp well next camp timeline and then did you get contracted then or did you have to sweat it out
2: I think the way they worked it that year was that, you know, they obviously had whittled it down to like nine dudes. But I don't think any of us got contracts till April or May. But it was very clear who it was by February or so. Uh, And that was an interesting group. I mean, I mentioned it in the reaction video. You know, we were there was a lot of rookies. Um, So in the snare line, Justin Lewis, he had marched Blue Coats, I think, since 05, right? He was 05 all the way through 08. Uh, So he was going to be the center. And Drew Guy had marched 06, so he was a vet. And then everyone else was a rookie. However, there was just some like monster players who had super, you know, great experience in that line. So Jeff Brooks was aging out. Uh, and, you know, Jeff, by that point, had already been marching with the Max, had marched Madison, Crossman, Glassman. Uh, you know, he had Niles Abel, who I think did eight years of Drum Corps, uh, had marched <laughs> at Kevin Reg and Magic, and, you know, obviously went on with like Brian Byer to march with the Max and, uh, you know, Snoyd, Kevin Thorburn was in that line, uh, got lucky for me that Kevin uh, was in Richmond. So I was about an hour away in Charlottesville at College at UVA and uh, we drummed together between camps. So that helped me a ton. And I remember he would play, cause he marched Madison in 06. Uh, and I remember he would play chunks of his Madison book and I'd play chunks of our, of my cadets book. And then we'd look at the blue coat stuff and be like, this is not the same, <laughs> <You> know, we, <laughs> we have to learn how to play. So definitely playing with like the IP videos, you know, like. It was just like a, a process of like taking people from such different experiences and having to like meld them all together.
1: It's funny. That's probably the first time that you and I were ever in the same room together, because I also auditioned for Blue Coats for the summer of 07. Yeah, that yeah. was my very, very first drum corps audition ever, was for that I, line. Um, I didn't make it. Um.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that was a very eye-opening experience for me. I was like, oh, I need to drum a lot more. Okay, all right, here we go. <laughs> Yeah, it was Tim Maynard teaching, right? Yeah, Tim. And I think Ray Ulabari, uh, I don't know how you pronounce that, was doing the yeah. uh, individuals that weekend, too. And I remember him just being like, yeah, your your left hand is pretty weak. And I was like, yeah, well, I've been playing traditional for about eight months, so that makes sense. So <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, and honestly, too, like another big draw for me once I got to Bluecoats, like for that first couple camps, was just Tim Maynard. Chad Shadler also helped teach us in Orlando those two summers. And Mike McIntosh, I was like, these dudes are educators. Like, I don't think we ever really stopped and did push-ups in the whole two summers that I marched there. And if we did, it was probably because we deserved it. Uh, and I think there was uh, a very few instances that we were forced to run, and those were definitely because we deserved it. Uh, but they <laughs> they taught. They taught their asses off. Like, we broke shit down. They took, you know you know, nine dudes or, you know, however many people in the battery, and they really, like, built stuff from the ground up so you know i remember at move-ins in 07 you mentioned the uh, blam right these uh you know back then is you that know.
1: the video of you all playing it like balls slow well yeah like we
2: we started blam at 74 beats a minute in, at yeah. move-ins and i remember going under this shady tree and like standing there and max said don't mark time you know just like spread your beats 74 beats a minute what the hell's mark timing gonna do and we just like broke down these like you know, 16 note downstrokes, upstrokes, like how are we articulating the diddle on like the downbeat of the flam? It's like, it was kind of mind bending because of how slow it was. And then the next day we showed up and did it at 76. And the next day, 78. And we took that thing up to 114 by two BPM increments. And then suddenly we get on tour and we're just like throwing down these like crazy flam exercises that I think like to this day, people look back like, oh yeah, that was like probably... You know something that
1: most lines don't end up doing she used to us for days ch-chickety, 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 ch-chickety. Mm. dude i love that exercise
2: yeah and same thing goes for like you know the, the other things that we played that i think people think of for that era like meter diddle and you know some of that other stuff like the way tim and chad and mac broke stuff down from like a snare line and like a full battery i think was for me i very eye-opening at the time and i think that's why we were so good i mean we, we, we had some you know experience and talent, but we definitely would not have been as clean as we were if it wasn't for Tim Aitard. I mean, Tim, he marched cadets in the late 90s, 2000, age out in 2000, and watched Mystique. And I think in the two summers I marched under him, I heard him say good job like twice. We got, <laughs> one, we got one of them on camera. It's on some YouTube video. It's so like, yeah, sweet. We got like Tim saying good job. And I mean, we would like, you know, like the 08 oh, snare line would like finals week, would like play our snare break in front of him. And he would just kind of like shrug his shoulders and be like, almost. And we're like, dude, this is good. Like, what are you talking about?
1: <laughs> Some but just high standards. Like high of
2: standards is just incredible.
1: But the, not only the high of standard, but just the delivery that you're talking about. Someone just be like, not being like, oh, this sucks. But being like real, like, yeah, there's a couple things in there. And you're like, well, yeah, you're right, but it's really good. But you're also right. So, yeah, there was a couple <laughs> of small little things in there. <laughs>
2: yeah I mean just but. having like I think they developed our ears as much as they developed our hands and just you I remember I took that to when I was teaching like you know when you're in a line you need to be able to hear more ticks than the judges are gonna hear because like if Jeff Prospery has better ears than you, which Jeff Prospery has pretty damn good ears, then he's gonna call more shit out
1: yeah it, well and to your point like he definitely shouldn't have better ears than you on your own book because yeah. When you're in the line playing it, everything feels like it's, I don't know, 10 clicks slower than when you go back and listen to it or if you're listening to something that you've never heard just because, like, you know what you know what's coming. You know what's around the corner. You know what to expect. You know the parts that, like, oh, so-and-so went in on the snare line usually ticks this part of the show. So let's see if he does today. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you figure that stuff out. Um, but, yeah, I, I love that. I've, I've heard several other people – talk about different instances of Mac and Tim Maynard and just speak so highly of just the way that they train what you're talking about earlier, the the mental aspect of it. It's like Mac just being like, oh what are you guys like what's going on with you guys? You like just why don't you guys just like take a second, like go clear your heads, like don't think about drumming for like four or five minutes, and then let's come back and try this again. Cause we could just rep this to death and it get better like very very slowly or i can just give you a second to like get this frustration out of your mind and then come back and let's let's approach it with a fresh mindset um and that makes for sure so much sense to me
2: yeah i remember too you know at that point 0708 i knew it was my last summer's right and and mac would often you know address the whole battery and and say hey this is how we teach like it, what, he was giving us instruction, not on how to actually perform and play that part, but on how he was approaching that moment as an educator and thus how we should start a- approaching the lines that we were going to be teaching. You know, by that point, when you have a bunch of people that are 20 and 21 and so on. Yeah, we're all teaching high schools. Like, obviously, we're going to age out and teach drum corps. And, yeah, I thought it was incredible that, you know, he had the, you know, the thought that he's teaching us how to teach, not just teaching us how to play. And that helped me a ton because I was teaching ever since at least at like WGI level since 07 and you know, you know taught a lot more. And I you know always was drawing upon the things that I, I you know learned under Mac.
1: Yeah, and plus that completely falls under the column of self-assessment or self-cleaning. Like, what do I need to think about? Like, I'm ticking this part. All right, so what is this part? If I break it down, isolate my hands, pull them apart, have downstroke, upstroke, double stroke, like that's basically your three functions of life. Like <laughs> rebound stroke, downstroke, doubles. Like, I mean, it's one of those three things probably. It's either eight, sacks, and tap or double B. What do I need to do figure this out? And you're just learning how to self-clean and and figure out what you would tell someone to achieve this. And you just tell that to yourself and ultimately it's just going to it's going to clean yourself. So I I wish that more groups would do that. I understand that maybe it requires a certain level of experience to allow that environment to an extent yeah. like you're talking about blue coats a lot of especially in Ohio you had a lot of vets, a lot of people come back. Probably not approach you could do with I don't know, just to throw this out there, cult cadets sure. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But definitely wish that a lot more people would approach it that way, looking back on my time. <laughs> yeah. And I remember going
2: into uh, finals week in 07. And for one, it was in, it was in California. Um, so, you know, I think we may be housed somewhere by, uh, nearby, but it was a Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. And I remember at, at our rehearsal site finals week, you know, we would you know, do whatever the morning block was. And then when it got to like percussion ensemble, we would do like maybe two run throughs with like a half hour break in between. And we just like kind of talk about it. Maybe like have like a couple like quick, you know, subsectional reps on the side. And then, you know, we get with the pit or whatever and do a run through and then go to ensemble. We do like some production runs, you know, take a break, do a full run through. And I, it was I think more so than oh eight, even just because I think in 07 the Bluecoats Horn line was incredible. They were like winning brass at like most shows in July. And that 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 music ensemble in particular, um, I think was probably like one of the highest achieving ensembles that I was a part of as a member uh in that you know we the the staff kind of approached us as professionals and they were teaching us to be teachers and they recognized the need for you know smart work hard work and rest and breaks you know we, we had full free days for example um and I thought that that was huge I think that paid off you know the 07 Bluecoats uh season was interesting in that we actually beat every single drum corps at one point in time that summer and we beat uh I believe every single drum line except at some point except for maybe uh devs uh and then you know the full core ended up getting seventh on finals so it was just kind of wild and we not like that we like had some sort of dip at the end you know in terms of achievement we had great shows it's just that that's how you know the judging plays out of course
1: yeah i was just looking back coming through some of the scores the brass was first on quarterfinals night
2: and, and then were like all
1: all three nights uh the music caption was second
0: um, which is kind of wild. So visuals, kind of what visuals, kind of what tanked them. Um, yeah, and I
2: think that era of blue coats. I mean, it was just kind of known that there was a bit more, you know, higher ordinals on the music side of the sheet than visual.
0: Yeah, visuals, ge, and visual. Mm. Yeah, visuals yeah. kind of always been the blue coats' Achilles' heel. Not so much in recent years. I feel like as the core has been finishing higher and higher, and they won that medal in sixteen and. Uh, but the visual especially in the era where you marched and then i marched and stuff it was always the weaker of all the sub captions but before we move any further hold on there we go <laughs> all right Max now we can we continue sample that sound he's like you need to sample yeah so <laughs> i'm comment on one of our uh,
1: youtube videos which shout out mac if if you're listening i want to get you on here <laughs> yep but uh so yeah, obviously some incredible experiences with the Bluecoats. Um, got to reunite with Kevin. Uh, yeah, it was a hype. Did he bail on you for 08. Well, he didn't bail. He got hurt, <laughs> but he did. Actually, he did bail because he was going to go to Cavaliers. He did and he did go to Cavaliers for a few weeks. Yeah. Uh,
2: hmm. Yeah, we so in 08, at one point we had ten snares, eight of which were vets, and the only <laughs> the, the two rookies were Nick Taylor, who had marched Boston, and who had like one Pasic and was like. One of the best snare drummers I ever marched with, uh, and then Zach Bernard, who had marched Blue Knights, and you know went on to march at the Max, and you know was like a great player.
1: Pretty stacked audition. That was how my Blue Coats audition was actually. Um, there were seven vets, and then me and Tom auditioned Gasparini and some other. Was that people. for eleven?
2: Yeah, that yeah, was for eleven.
1: Um, that
2: was a good line too.
1: Yeah. It's okay. I don't. I do not regret. Not, <laughs> I, do, I don't regret not doing it. It's fine. Um. <laughs> anyway, so moving on. You ended up. We ended up marching blue coats, and then you take a little bit of a hiatus, like you mentioned earlier. Did not march '09 indoor. Come back for 2010 indoor. Hadn't drummed well in a drumline setting for like over a year. <laughs> and I've also done this, so what was your were you like, man, I haven't drummed in a while. I need to like chop out or did your hands pretty much stay fairly in shape?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, so I'll definitely answer that question, but we'll, we'll definitely tell at least a few blue coats 8 stories. But All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, at the end at the end of O eight, there was some burnout for sure from the staff and from some members. And I mean I was aging out as it was. So I went back to school um for like the fall semester at UVA and I actually, like, didn't play traditional grip for at least, like, three months. I played, like... I was in, like, an African drum and dance ensemble. I was playing, like, hand drums. I was playing drum set. And I, I mean, I played, like, some snare drum stuff, but, like, it was match grip. And I uh, very specifically was thinking to myself, I'm I'm done marching, right? Like, it is what it was. It was great. I'm going to be teaching. And uh, I taught George Mason in '09. So then I was like, right, well, I'm going to obviously, like, teach snare drumming. I'm going to keep... I mean, start drumming again. And uh, the '09 winter... With with rhythmx, you know, being incredible, and the show being incredible, talking to Josh Berkey and everything, he had taught me at Bluecoat uh visual, and and I was like, guy, right, I need to, I need to make my age out happen at rhythmx in 2010. So I definitely drummed. Uh, it helped. I actually got into triathlon that summer, so I was able to, uh, I was able to hang <laughs> with the drill. You know, 2:38 on the chord note.
0: Um, uh, I still don't yeah, know I mean, how like, you guys like, did that well we kind of did it we we kind of didn't
2: (laughs) but my audition at at x you know with uh with tim jackson he he, before i drummed he goes when was the last time you were in a drum line and i said august 2008 so it had been like probably a year and a half and then i think he had me play like flammed mills and then he said put a diddle on the second partial and that was my whole audition i was like all right thanks uh but you know that's how rhythm x goes sometimes
1: yeah, I think the, I remember he, that audition being very weird too. It was, I think, I believe it was for Tim and Tim, Tim Fairbanks and Tim Jackson. And he was just like, something similar. He's like, all right, play some flam drags. And then he said, like, play something <laughs> else. And then play something I was like, all right, I didn't play any of the exercises. Yep. I didn't play any of the show. Books.
0: No, it was, okay. it, that was the same thing in 2011. It, I think, it, I think my individual in 11 was just Tim Fairbanks. And all he did was say, I can't remember what the two rudiments were, but he said, "Play these two rudiments, and then say." Uh, he goes, "Say something. Play something that will impress me." Yeah. <laughs> so I just played like some chunk from the Blue Stars book that summer, and he was just like, "Okay, that's it. It's all I need to see." It was like <laughs> ten minutes. Like not even ten minutes. I think
1: that I was kind of blissfully ignorant for that audition. Um, oh, I'd I marched, marched three years of. I'd marched three years of. Open class and/or before auditioning for *Rhythm x two thousand ten, and that was my first world audition. I mean, luckily I did have a summer under my belt, but my friend actually had talked me into going. telling uh, Combs, he was like, "Dude, let's go!" And then I knew Dean um, yeah. man he was in the quad line because we had gone to school together. But I really didn't want to go. And then I got there, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool! Like, this is some fun stuff. We're just we're kind of the focus. We're drumming, no horn line. All right, sweet." Um, <laughs> uh, but I remember just everybody talking about, I went up the night before the first audition and stayed at like an apartment with some people. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know whose apartment it was. No clue. We stayed up all night pretty much just like drumming on pads and quote unquote hanging out. Yeah, um, Bible and, study. Then we, <laughs> Bible study. and then we went to audition the next day and I was so tired, but I feel like that probably was, a plan they're like who, who can rehearse under these conditions let's figure it out uh, there's a good
2: uh here's a good story that can transfer uh segue into some blue quotes away stories so the day before the first rhythm x audition was niles abel's wedding uh <laughs> and it was in granville ohio so it was maybe like an hour away and he had a snare line at his wedding so like there was a seven bunch of us, you, there? yeah there was a bunch of us from 0708 and then he had you know like joel uh hilbert from x and you know, there, there was a it was a full line and we played uh, a part of Blam. We played uh, a loose from X, which is funny because Zach and I hadn't marched Rhythm X at the time. We did like made sure we knew it to play. And then we actually <laughs> played like we played a chunk of the X08 opener, which like half of us weren't even in that line or maybe like three. of them. So we played snare drum at the wedding. It was a wedding. So obviously, like we're all hammered. And we were up till four a.m. and I had to like get up at seven to drive an hour, and then I get to the school and it was locked. Like no one was there to open up for auditions, so we just like slept in our car for another hour or two before someone showed up. I think James Sparling got there and then opened up for auditions. It was crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, because it was at Kettering Fairmont. He was working there at the time. Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah, I I was just like, what am I getting myself into? And I was just stupid tired and ended up. M- Really enjoying it, but ended up making it. uh, Sorry, Dylan, I beat you out. But he (laughs) took me and then I beat him out. But then it ended up being me and like eight other 22-year-olds. Literally, yeah. Literally.
2: Yeah, (laughs) by by finals, three of us were 23. I think the average age of
1: the snare line by finals was like 22 and a half. Yeah, yeah. That's
2: that's right, yeah.
1: And I was 19 or something like that.
0: (laughs) That's funny.
2: I don't envy Josh Bricky for the uh the snare role that he had to have that year teaching because I remember at one point he walked up to us on finals week and looked at like Tim and Dave and I and was like about to like give us some technique comment for our hands and was like you guys are aging out in 3 days it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> We're all like literally 22.
0: I mean oh, that was gosh.
2: I, yeah, that's summer. Sorry, that winter uh was just, you know, so wild in so many ways. Probably not as wild from like a partying standpoint as like some of the stories I've heard from like oh seven, oh eight, oh nine. But the show was just so hard and we were trying to do so many things and they just kept making changes all the way till literally finals lot. And uh it was just, you know, it was an experience.
1: It was an experience. Yeah, it was just it was just so hard. It it was so hard.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> like I thought yeah. indoor drill I, was
1: supposed to be easy. Come on, what are we doing?
2: I feel like looking back, there were so many parts where you're like man why didn't we
1: just like water this
2: (laughs) it was like it wouldn't have even made it any worse it would have just been
0: clean
1: (laughs) i just need a break for my hands can we just add a couple eighth notes here and there like just some eighth note check and then we'll get back into it but but,
2: yeah but i think that show too like looking back i mean there was obviously shows before that were doing tons of choreography like mystico seven comes to mind and there were shows that were doing like vocal stuff and so on but I really feel like at the time, like, X10, we did a lot of acrobatic stuff that maybe was, like, above and beyond what a lot of groups had done. And then it makes me think, too, like, Blue Nights 11, the next year, the parkour show, like, they took that and, like, ran with it, literally. And just, like, the, the different, uh, you know, effects and, like, the level of the effects that, you know, Tim Jackson, Tim Fairbanks, trying to put together, I thought, you know, the show was so well designed. It was just hard.
1: I think it did. I mean, I think the show name – I haven't talked about it a ton as far as, like, on this podcast – the literal show but the inspired was what it was it inspired shows to come it explored x y and z axis of the floor like standing on drums standing on marimbos standing on like just everything and then you had people doing all kinds of stuff where they're putting stairs in the shows and platforms and like really started to like come 3d off the tarp i feel like Uh, so i feel like that show did inspire a lot of things to come um Wish it was a little bit cleaner, but that's all right. Uh, you know, and that's
2: the other funny thing, is it almost, like, inspired, in my opinion, like,
1: a couple years where
2: there was groups that clearly, like, didn't get as clean because they were doing so much, like, other stuff. And luckily, I think the pendulum has corrected itself. Like, there have been obviously some, like, stupid, clean snare lines. I mean, and Pulse 10, like, they won. They were great. That snare line in particular was playing their asses off. And, you know, yeah, you look nah. at the sheets, and there's, like, clearly they were getting some, like, G as excellence as an effect because of how good they were. And that's probably how it should be. Yeah, so it's just kind of funny sure. to see
1: how things, how things switch around. For sure. For sure. Um You did say before we started, not to like jump around year to year, but you were going to bring up a story uh from Oh <laughs> uh, nine. Oh, from some uh, Oh eight and blue coats. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So,
2: so
1: someone you marched at blue coats with.
2: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So this was, when
2: I went to go watch your Crown 09 lot in Allentown. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, Jenny, who, you know, I've been with since then. So a lot of uh, people i marched with, you know, met her. And we went to uh, pick up a friend of ours who I uh, marched Bluecoats with and uh, Evan and marched Crown with. And that probably whittles it down right there as to who it is. But we uh, picked him <laughs> up on his night off and I took him to the liquor store so he could, you know, get some booze. And, He made some decisions that night and stayed out after lights out and got caught. Went to the bar with the core director, I guess. And
1: then we didn't go with the core director, but he went to the bar that the core director was also at. Him and another member of the drumline showed up. Like, all right, if you're going to drink, all right, you can get away with it, but you probably shouldn't go to the bar where you know everyone in their family, like who's on staff, goes to. Walks into the bar. Oh, there's the core director. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i think that he wanted to send them home
2: yep and, and i think uh, he just fight for him
1: yeah zach and uh lee bettis fought for him like dude no we get it they screwed up like you're right they screwed up but we're not sending them home so they just ended up sending them out for allentown but we ended up marching seven eight snares out of the nine and four bases out of the five base two was out <laughs> No big deal.
2: I remember watching that lot on that Saturday night at Allentown. You know, and Crown O'Neill was a freaking good drum line. And sitting next to those two members and just talking to them like, how does it feel to like watch the line that you're in? Like in late July, maybe even early August by that point. August. When you guys are just like ramming and playing so well. And they're just like sitting out watching. It was just so surreal. It was funny.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So here's
2: um, a here's a, a brief overview of uh, of how the, the the drinking got too excessive uh, at Bluecoats in '08. So <laughs> I mentioned that uh, actually this was after we stopped recording, but I think Bluecoats made some good uh, decisions after the '08 summer and changed some rules. Uh, but you know sometimes you don't really know what the rules are, need to be changed to until you've gone too far. And in '08 we basically like there was a bunch of age outs and a lot of us were. In the battery, there was 14 vets, and the rookies had all marched, you know, world-class finals before. They weren't really inexperienced by any means. And the 18 of us, we added it up. Like, if you took DCI and WGI experience, we had, like, 105 years of experience between 18 of us. (laughs) I mean, it was just stupid. It was just, like, a bunch of us were, like, getting to age out, and we, like, all had come back. So we were, like, a little bit ready for things to be really, really good right away, or we were just gonna be pissed. And uh, the rest of the core wasn't necessarily uh, as many vets. There was a lot of rookies in the horn line, a lot of rookies in the color guard. So as the summer started to progress, it started like the scoring was like a little asymmetrical. Like, you know, the drum line progression section would get like second at a regional and the color guard would be like 13. Or like the visual would be like, you know, 11th. And we just got like kind of fed up and, again, we were just like cocky 21 year olds and we just drank all the time and we had parties in the bus. And, uh, there was definitely, you know, incidents that, uh, I think a lot of people have probably heard about retreat and so on. And I'm glad that, uh, blue Coats have made some, you know, better policy changes. And I'm glad that I still have a good relationship with, you know, the core director at the time. I apologize to him. You know, when I was the director at Mason, I reached out to Dave Glasgow and said, Hey, like, I feel like I specifically owe you an apology because now I know what you were going through <laughs> when I was the one
1: as a member. Oh,
2: we my just went
0: God. crazy. Dude, yeah, I mean, live and learn. <laughs> did, you guys, did you guys ever skip a block and just, like, not go to a block?
2: No, there was, like, uh, so, you know, one of the things that we ended up doing a lot of times, we just, like, stayed on the bus. So, like, we got to a housing site. We just, like, kept sleeping on the bus. We didn't go inside the school. But part of that was just because it was, like, so much booze left over on the bus we didn't want to have to like clean up um we did that a lot and like you know we were allowed to go to bars if we had free time and I think they meant that rule to be for free days but Mm -hmm. we just took that to mean whenever we weren't on the field so there was times during lunch (laughs) break we'd sneak away to there was times like on EPL where we'd quickly shower throw our stuff in the bus and then like go to a bar for happy hour And then we had to go to the lot, (laughs) but I mean, it was just crazy. I mean, early season, there was a couple lots where we we realized like a few people were like, still literally not sober. Yeah. And uh, we like put a a hex on that pretty quick because we needed to play clean. And that's the thing is like, we all wanted to play clean and we wanted to be good. So once like time came to like do the work, we performed well. That said, when the time was free time, we also partied well. (laughs) (laughs)
0: And that makes me feel like what I'm, I always tell the story from 2012 because we were all age outs in that (laughs) snare line at coach, except for Joe Woody and had a bunch of experience and stuff. And we, we cut a visual block one day. Like we basically had, we did a, we did a head change after the show the night before and you know, like, when you first put a fresh Kevlar head on a snare drum, it needs time to break in, you have to baby step it up as you crank it over the next day, and so we had Vish Block in the morning, Roger Carter told us to put our drums' bottom heads up in a circle under this tree, and we were going to go to Viz with no drums. And this is like mid-July, I think, maybe early July, it was mid-tour, and the basses and quads had their drums, so they went to Vizh Block like they always do, and... We pretty much just said, this is dumb to go do Viz without drums. So we're just going to go hang out somewhere for three hours. <laughs> and we just never <laughs> showed up. And ever, ever, like the bases and quads told us later that they're like, yeah, we just figured Roger had you guys. Like nobody asked about you once. None of the Viz staff asked. And then like we're at lunch eating. And then Mike Jackson walks out of the staff camper and just finds us all around a tree and goes, so what's this I hear about you guys just not being at Bish Block this morning. And we just were just like, we don't, we don't know what you're talking about. And he just laughed and walked away. <laughs> I was like, all that's right, great. that's where we're at right now.
2: <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I feel like another thing that like, contributed to the 08 summer being what it was was that there was definitely some uh, of the same like emotional burnout from the staff, the percussion staff, the drum staff. And I mean, there was just like some crazy stuff. Like Tim Maynard showed up to rehearsal one day with legit full body bruising, he was clutching his ribs. He had like a uh, you know black eye, like a bruise on his lip, and like dude, what the hell happened? And this was in move-ins, and it went on all summer. He like would lay down during snare sectionals because his ribs was like his rib was legit broken, and we that uh, we heard every bit of like lies from the staff. Like oh he got in a fight, oh Mac beat him up, and they were all just like joking. And I think there was, like, an incident with a golf cart that we later found out to be the case. And uh, <laughs> it was just crazy. I mean, like, it was it was drum corps. But at the time, it felt definitely like, you know, we were just trying to live our lives as a bunch of 21-year-olds. And then we just happened to also have to go rehearse during the day and do shows at night.
1: Dude, that's... I love that, dude. Yeah, maybe a little rambunctious overall, but, <laughs> I mean, just memories and stories that will never be forgotten and like you said probably recalibrated some things from an organizational standpoint on the blue coast behalf that launched them into the trajectory that they are today so i mean yeah whatever. there you go it's probably for the better you know just let's look at it that <laughs> way <laughs> Exactly. Um, well speaking of like skipping blocks and stuff this will kind of segue pretty decent into what i want to talk about for a little bit here with you um I think people need more blocks off in drum corps. Uh, In 2010 at Crown, we were a little bit, I don't want to say dramatic or diva-ish, but I think we were more vocal in our displeasure with running three miles every morning at spring training. Um, Because the staff would specifically ask us, like, there were days where we would clearly just, like, play worse. And they'd be like, dude, what's going on? And I'd be like, well, we ran four miles this morning. Uh, Yeah like we didn't do that every day but there were days where they are like, we're going to have a long run today and I'm like we don't we don't need to do that like I don't need that much cardio endurance to do a 10 minute show where I stand still for a minute and a half in the ballot. i, I so we basically talked them into if you guys will let us stop running and do pt or like just like core work or leg work we'll play better and they were, I think they kind of did it to like call bullshit on us and be like yeah right you're just full of it like whatever blah 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 you just don't want to run which i didn't uh so we started doing that we didn't run the rest of spring training the horn line would run and the battery would do like core work and lower body work and we played significantly better and so they were like all right yeah but so you obviously for i won't say i won't say obviously because everybody else who doesn't know you doesn't know but have a extreme devout background in physical fitness you own a gym in dc uh physicality is that how you sound it Pronounce it? yeah physicality yep gst uh gymnastic strength training yeah
2: um
1: but you taught spirit and were obviously into the physical side of things were the things you did with them to like curve the running like hey we should probably do less cardio we should probably do more of this what's your opinion on the the physical side of dci and things people should be doing versus what they are doing
2: yeah this is an important question for sure uh one of my students at spirit in 2011 in the snare line is dr elliot cleveland who is the founder of marching health and uh it's been amazing to see the stuff that he's been able to do because i think he's really taking a smarter approach to it uh you know when you look at conditioning for drum corps And honestly, you could apply this to like teaching as well. But a lot of people just think that if you if they do what they were taught, that's correct. And that's prevalent in so many things. Uh, You know, I think gymnastics culture, which is something that I'm privy to in my job. They had a whole slew of issues around, you know, sexual abuse. And at Drum Corps, I think a lot of people just think running is the answer because when they were a member, they ran. And they think push ups are the answer because when they were a member, they did push ups. Uh, and obviously we need to think more critically about that. So one thing, um, that I did when I uh, taught at spirit, so I taught there 2011, 12, 13, 14, and for at least one or two of those summers, I did full core strength and conditioning every morning. Uh, and then for, you know, most of those summers, I at least did like uh, percussion or like battery SNC in the mornings. Uh, but at move-ins, I mean, we were also lucky in some of those years we were at a campus at Riverside college. That was incredible. And we literally got access to the weight room. So we would run every other day. And that was almost all interval based. So we'd go out to the track and I would time, you know, 135, you know, teenagers. uh, And we would do, you know, for example, like a five minute run, walk for two minutes, another five minute run, walk for two minutes. And maybe do we did three of those. Uh, And then some days it would be like run all out for one minute and then walk for two minutes and then run all out for, you know. We did interval training because that probably more closely mimics the demand of a show anyway. Hundred percent. You know, you're not yeah. you're not just running at a low level of intensity for twelve minutes. Uh, you are, you know, sprinting, stopping. You're doing, you know, a fast section of the show followed by smaller step size. Um, so I think interval training from like a cardiovascular demand is so much more clearly the answer. I mean, it's also probably harder, and it probably has more health benefits, and you know, burns more fat, builds more muscle, and so on. And then at Spirit the other day, because that was only every other day. Actually, we took Sundays off of SNC, so it was basically running on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. On Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we we got stronger. We did, uh, you know, whether it was in a weight room or whether it was just on a football field, we did body weight based strength and flexibility training. So it was squats, it was split squats, it was lunges, it was push ups, it was. Uh, you know, if we were in the weight room, we would hang on a bar, we'd do variations on chin ups, which, you know, could just be hanging or could be holding you at the top. Uh, but we, you know, took the, the human body, which has two arms and two legs. And we did the things that you need to do to make sure you don't get hurt, to make sure that you're staying resilient. Uh, we did a ton of core strength, a ton of like hollow holds, a ton of arch body holds for the low back. Uh, and we tried to do what we could to, uh, for one, get them stronger. And, you know, the half hour each day that we had. But then for two, they then had to go rehearse so we can't overdo things. You know, that's where we probably should have more blocks off or days off because then you need to rehearse and get better. You need to train and get stronger. And then the times at which you're getting stronger are when you're not training. So there needs to be enough recovery. There needs to be enough sleep. sleep. There needs to be enough nutritious food. Uh, one of the things I tried to pitch to the Spirit, uh, you know, board of directors was, you know, for one, getting better food, which the food was fine there. Um, but perhaps even looking into like, you know, whatever supplementation we thought was appropriate for the teenagers who were going to be running around outside all summer. So maybe fish oil, or maybe we needed to have, you know, you know, less like ibuprofen being passed around, uh, just because that was like the the go-to like vitamin I, Oh yeah, (laughs) Yeah. maybe less of that. And look at what else we could be doing from an anti-inflammatory standpoint, whether that's with the food, uh, and so on. I mean, in 2014, in the Snare Line of Spirit, there was a, a member who um, was you know, he had celiac disease. He couldn't eat gluten. So his his family provided gluten-free food for him, but they had provided so much that the whole Snail Line basically just ate gluten-free. And they all thought they actually felt a lot better and they had like less you know issues. Um, and it's just things like that you could do a little bit and I think would have a huge potential benefit for drum corps.
0: That's incredible. I mean, I noticed that just in the two summers that I marched, that the the diet they feed you, like obviously you need carbohydrates to operate at that level, but I always felt the amount of protein you were given was always lacking. And I I didn't have the nutrition knowledge or the fitness knowledge that I do now as I've gotten into weightlifting and like staying in shape and stuff since I've aged out. And I wished 100% that I had done personally just more weight training. Going into my summers because in the slew of teaching that I've done since I've aged out, you know, I've physically gotten stronger There's more muscle on my body and I might not have like maybe the lung capacity to run as far anymore But i've put drums on a few times since then and i'm like, I can't even tell i'm wearing a drum right now I wish I had done this strength stuff. I would have been able to rehearse more efficiently You know just been stronger throughout the entire day Wouldn't be getting to the end of the day and just feel completely beat down. I've always thought like Protein intake needs to be higher and just more focused exactly like what you just said in strength training and not just, can I run six miles? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, uh, what you're talking about, obviously Elliot and the marching health
1: stuff is, is hopefully trying to enlighten and bring more information to people on better ways to stretch, um, better, like instead of doing like what is not stagnant stretching, but, um, Uh, Yeah, dynamic stretching. Dynamic stretching, yeah, completely blank, like jumping jacks and lunges and things like that instead of just like, oh, like pull your quad back and do (laughs) this whole thing. Um, And then also just I know I I read an interview you did where you did like a PCC program, which I think stood for progressive calisthenics certification or something like that. Yeah. Um, just figuring out how to use your body weight, like what you were talking about, if you don't have access to a gym to build up the muscles required to perform in this activity at a high level. I mean, there were guys that I marched with that smoked packs of cigarettes <laughs> and stuff. It's like, clearly they don't need the cardiovascular part of it. They do to some extent, but not probably at, to the extent that what they're trying to get like it, they don't need to be able to run a 5k, um, but then just doing the body squats, the lunges, um, training those muscles, the core, being able to plank. I mean, you're, you're going to wear a drum for 10 hours in a day. Like, do you have the core and back support that you need to just not be destroyed? Are you going to stand on your feet for 12 hours in a normal day? Probably not. Um, yeah. Learning learning to prep your body for that type of stuff. If, you were te- if someone was going to audition for drum corps today, what's the best advice you would give them as far as like, preparing like what sort of things would you tell them to
2: do yeah and i think that's uh that's a great question and i think if you look at uh, the influence you know the indoor activity has had on the outdoor activity as well you know maybe like when i was marching the advice to just run and do cardio wasn't the worst because we didn't really do a ton of very intensive choreography back then but you know of course like nowadays you know there's there's going to be a whole um wide skill set of, of dance-esque movements that are going to be you know expected from the horn line from the drum line from obviously the color guard so yes you do need to make sure you're able to you know do some sort of you know cardiovascular activity you need to be able to breathe hard and recover and keep going especially if you're on the horn line uh i would say single leg training is probably something that most people overlook even if they go to a gym You have to be able to, like, especially if you're going to march, especially if you're going to crab, especially if you're going to lunge up and down off the floor while wearing a drum, you have to be able to, you know, support your body weight more on one leg than another, whether that's, again, split squats, lunges, caustic squats, single leg deadlifts is, you know, a bunch of ways you could do that. And when you look at core training in terms of how it would apply to a drum core, I mean, a plank kind of closely mimics the position of holding a horn in many ways. Uh, you know, maybe there's like some different shoulder demands, uh, but different ways you can do planks, whether it's front planks, whether it's side planks, whether it's one arm, one leg, and uh, weighted and elevated and so on. I think that's very important. And then something we just haven't mentioned yet is mobility. I mean, hopefully when you're 16, 17, 19, you're not crazy tight yet. That said, I mean, <laughs> it happens. I mean, I, I taught kids that couldn't touch their toes. And, you know, we're looking at hip mobility to prevent low back pain. Right, so if your hips are so tight that they're not moving when they should be, the next joint above your hip is your low back and it's gonna move more than it should and that's why it's eventually gonna hurt. Uh, You know, if you're getting knee issues from, you know, marching all day, it could be because your ankles are so stiff that instead of your ankles moving like they should, your knee is trying to move and that's why your knee hurts. And of course you could talk about that with the upper body as well, just maybe that's not gonna be as specific to drum corps but, you know, hip and shoulder mobility has got to be part of the equation.
1: That's pretty key because we would stretch like to warm up, but we wouldn't really work on mobility, flexibility. I, I don't recall that at all during spring training, like doing stuff to improve my hip flexor rotations. Maybe, maybe they did, and I just don't remember, but I don't feel like we did. Um, those sort of things that can be – integrated into programs to be more preventative care and preventative strength building. I think that that's a conversation that this activity has to continue to just develop and, and be better at in general. Um, I think too many yeah. people are afraid to take time off because like we we're going to, we're going to lose the time. We're going to lose the the time to rehearse and get better when they're just thinking about quantity over quality. Um, yeah. Again, that you you could, You could push that back to, to my previous statement about experience and this and that, that obviously some groups are probably going to require a little bit more rehearsal time than others, just depending on their experience and how easy they're able to pick stuff up. But I don't think that it matters at all what the experience level is to say that a little bit more rest is going to benefit your ensemble in the whole. So,
2: yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, early days of when i marched i mean i remember instructors saying put your drums down do you see that building over there and we'd be like no there's no building they said well there is a building over there run to the building and come back and it's like it was like probably a mile run in the middle of rehearsal that wasn't doing anyone any good obviously from like a you know a musicianship standpoint but also from a physical training standpoint it's just random and you know to this day i'm sure there's also some people who still say okay everyone stop do 20 push-ups Granted, those are probably 20 of the worst-looking push-ups you've ever seen. And they mean it as almost more of a disciplinary tool than they do of a physical conditioning. It's like, no, no, we have to separate. You can't be interfering with the training effect that we're going for by using these shitty disciplinary tactics. And also, you should be a better educator, and you shouldn't have to use push-ups to get your students to do what you think is right.
1: Also, just think about that from a, I don't know, like completely wrong direction of what you would want to do to make something better like i'm gonna make you run a mile and then hope you get back and play this better than what you just did or i'm gonna make you do i'm gonna make you do 20 push-ups and get your muscles extremely tense and tight by doing these push-ups and then ask you to play this better than you just did even though the whole premise of like what we teach is to like warm up and loosen up before you play it's like it's so (laughs) counterintuitive
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, again, I think the activity has luckily shifted quite a bit. I think a lot of the people teaching these days are <laughs> much smarter than maybe uh, the the tactics that were used to teach when I was, you know, growing up in the activity. But yeah, we definitely have to make sure we're, we're thinking critically about that stuff.
1: I guess one uh, kind of like bookend question here that I have is just if you had to pick three exercises that are your favorite, whether that's be just you personally like them or you think they are the most effective, what would you pick?
2: I mean, I I can pick my favorites, you know, in terms of, like, efficacy. I guess it just depends on, you know, what the person likes to do. Uh, I do a lot of handstands. I do a lot of hand balancing. Uh, It actually started at Bluecoats in 07, funny enough, uh, on water breaks. Uh, The guy who I was right next to both years, Jeremiah, he and I just in the midst of, like, people getting, like, frustrated with, like, tense rehearsals, on water breaks, we just used to like kick up to handstands just because it would like make us laugh and smile. And we obviously couldn't hold it and couldn't do anything. And then in 08, we started like doing some walking. I would like walk like five yards on the football if I could on the field. And then uh, I got into CrossFit after aging out in triathlons and such. And there's like an element of some, you know, handstands, push ups ups, and walks. And slowly but surely gotten like found teachers that were good on both online and in person and eventually started teaching it myself. So I think... Handstands and hand balancing is definitely one of my favorite and something that like a lot of people could actually get a lot of joy and a lot of like shoulder mobility, wrist stability and, you know, core awareness and so on. So handstands, uh, squats, any type of squat, pistol squat, if you're at home right now and you don't have, you know, any weights, uh, work up to that. If you are able to go to a gym, you know, squat with some weight Uh, and probably some form of chin up. Uh, I'm working on getting my one arm chin up right now. Uh, but you know, if you're working on getting your first two arm chin up, I mean, that's something I help people with every single day. And I think that combo of the three is a, is a nice kind of blend of like some upper body, some lower body and so on.
1: Heck yeah. I love it. Uh, definitely haven't, d- uh, uh, dived into or dove into the handstand war, uh, realm myself. <laughs> <laughs> those others, those others, sure. I'm, sad, well, you know what? Ups, I'm at, not doing
2: at X in 2010. I mean, Tim Wood did the forearm stand on the drum during the ballad. Yeah. I remember that the whole
1: ballad that, that
2: got <laughs> tossed into the show because when Tim Fairbanks was staging that moment, Tim uh, Wood and I were in the back. Oh, sorry, he was staging um, an earlier moment in the show, like in part two, when like Dan Twyford's in the front of the floor and Tim Wood and I were just in the back. We did, He just like hadn't gotten to us yet. And we just put our drums next to the wall. And I was just like kicking up to a handstand on my drum on the wall just to see, like, can I even do this? And Tim Wood had done some forearm stands, apparently. So he just like did it. And Tim Fairbanks looked up and goes, Chris,
0: Tim. And we're just
2: expecting to get yelled at. And he goes, That's cool. Remember that for the ballad. <laughs> and, like,
1: That's typical,
0: just like Tim, Tim, Tim Fairbanks.
1: Yeah. And then the whole ballad became like a can we mimic Cirque du Soleil movements or something?
2: Yeah. I mean, it was just we were like messing around and, you know, good on Tim Fairbanks to like encourage that, art, you know, that creativity and that artistry and not just like, you know, You'd be mad that we were like not paying
1: attention to rehearsal.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> look at the dominance. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you got anything else, Evan? You got? Guys... I mean,
1: I'm sure we could certainly talk about like weightlifting and stuff for another hour if we wanted to, but I don't <laughs> well, think that, that we, I don't think that podcast. we will. Yeah, I don't think that we <laughs> will this go around.
0: Yeah, we're. I think we're about a, about an hour and twenty seven minutes in, so I think we're probably at a good point okay. to yeah book in this yeah. one, like you said, with that question and close it out so thanks everyone for hanging out today make sure you hit subscribe on the youtube channel if you're watching there subscribe on the podcast services apple spotify and google facebook instagram patreon for financial support check out lone star percussion discount code aged out save a little money uh i think i hit it all there evan didn't i did i leave anything out i don't know i blanked out i don't know it's in my hands
2: (laughs) hey thank you guys for doing this podcast i think it's definitely something that the community likes and that, you know, was uh, was a gap in this activity. And I think it's, uh, you know, great to have people on and to listen to people's stories and, and relive these experiences and provide commentary.
0: No, oh, thank you. Yeah. appreciate it. That was kind of the goal. The goal from the beginning was we saw a gap. in like you were saying, like all these other activities and even the niche things, something like this, had stuff like this going on. And marching percussion didn't. Really, drum corps didn't at the time. So we've just decided to run with it. Bought a mic one night, recorded the first one the next day. Didn't really think too hard about it. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) All right, everybody. We'll see everybody next time. Have a great holiday and new year. Peace.